Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Hey friends, we are in a series right now where we are talking about how we segment our lives into lots and lots of different tiny boxes in order to try to control even just a little bit of the chaos of our lives. And if you um, haven't yet been with us in person or maybe you didn't see it on the video last week, I wanted to put up this image that we've been using at our in-person services as a focal point throughout the series. And it's an image of all of these different boxes that are parts of our lives that we often kind of segment out in different ways. And throughout the series, we're just kind of trying to talk about what it looks like to hold all of these things together. And we've been talking about how the cost of segmenting our lives in all of these different ways is that we often inadvertently end up boxing God out of much of our lives and just kind of having a, a God box or maybe a church box on the shelf. And that's just one of the many boxes that we have in our life. Uh, but we also have been talking about how that often can do a disservice to us because if we have boxed God out of our lives, then it can be really difficult for God to transform our lives. Um, we've been saying it this way, that a boxed out God cannot transform a boxed in life. And I think that we do have a tendency to box God out of a lot of these different kind of boxes or areas of our lives from our friends and our family, from our skills and our hobbies, to our routines, all sorts of different places. But I think perhaps the box that we most often box God out of is in our jobs. And to be honest, I don't even necessarily think that we do it intentionally. After all, I think that it's hard to see what emails necessarily have to do with our faith. However, we spend so much of our time at work that there's a huge risk of boxing God out of one of the single biggest ways that we spend our lives. And uh, last week, Owen mentioned a book that might be helpful if you are enjoying this sermon series. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's by a woman named Atish Warren. And she names in this book that on average, Americans spend about 100,000 hours across our lives in the workplace. And y'all, that is just, gosh, that is a lot of time. And I think anytime we spend that much time doing something, whether we like it or not, it will shape our lives. It'll shape our affections and both what it is that we worship and how it is that we worship, whether we are kind of paying attention to it or not. And so as we talk about kind of how we spend our lives and particularly what it looks like to live an integrated life of faith at our jobs, um, I've been kind of thinking and reflecting on some jobs that I've had throughout my life and I've had 
a number of different jobs from when I was back in middle school, maybe, I guess it would have been high school. I was in charge of making grilled cheese at the neighborhood pool. And as I got older, I would babysit and nanny and that kind of thing. And more recently, of course, I've been working in churches. But I also have been reflecting on the first two jobs that I had. And these were jobs that I had like back in elementary school. And as I reflect really on both of them, I mean, I just have been telling myself that they have been scams. So I'll let you make your own evaluation of this. Um, the first job might be the worst offender of the scam. Uh, it was a job that my mom gave me, uh, particularly in the summertime. And it was <laughs> that she would give me one penny for every pine cone that I picked up. Now, our backyard had so many pine trees. And so those pine cones just lived back there for who knows how long. And yeah, she told me, you know, every pine cone you pick up, I'll give you a penny. And I mean, I spent days doing this. <laughs> and I, I mean, if I made a couple dollars, like it was a miracle. I don't even know why I did that. It was not worth it. But you know what? I didn't know the difference when I was doing it. Only looking back, I'm like, oh man, my mom knew what she was doing. Uh, the second job though that I had, um, I've been telling myself that I was an entrepreneur. Uh, I don't know that you can necessarily call it that though. This was when I was in second grade and my sister and two of our best friends that kind of lived across the street from us, we all decided that we loved dogs and that our families wouldn't let us have enough dogs because each of our families only had one. And that instead to get to see more dogs, we would start a dog sitting business. And we charged $5 a day, split that between the four of us, let you do the math there. And we, you know, had a whole list of different things that we would offer. One of which was for 10 cents a day, we would bring in your mail. <laughs> um, we still laugh about like how seriously we took it and just how funny it was that we started this at such a young age. I mean, we had, we were legit, like we had a binder and everything. We had price sheets, we had intake forms, and I'm pretty thoroughly convinced that we had half the keys to houses in our neighborhood because we cared for so many different dogs. Um, even in second grade though, while we were kind of doing doing this job, I think I had a sense that work was something that we just did. Um, no one told me that I needed a job at that age. I didn't actually need one. I didn't need to spend money on anything. And yet somehow I still felt like there was meaning and purpose behind what we were doing to kind of help care for the community around us. And I have always kind of carried that with me. And there's a quote by a man named Frederick Buchner and I think it kind of gets at like, this ideal of vocation. Um, he talks about how vocation, or maybe we use words like calling or work, is kind of the ideal vocation is where our deep gladness meets the world's greatest needs. And I mean, I certainly recognize that that's not necessarily always possible in all jobs or even in all seasons of life. Uh, sometimes I think we just have to work to pay the bills and not necessarily because we find the work that we are doing particularly meaningful. And sometimes I think too, even if we do have jobs that we love and that are super fulfilling and kind of live into this um, space of where our gladness meets the world's deepest need, that there can still be things as part of our jobs that just feel monotonous. Um, I love how Tish Warren talks about this in the book because I 100% feel the same way. Um, she talked about how one particularly monotonous task for her that she struggles with uh, is email. And I just, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I 
I appreciate email. I'm on it often. I appreciate like all of the things that it lets us do. And, and yet I always find myself frustrated by the fact that as soon as I get my inbox down, as soon as it's clear and zero, I can sit back and relax. And I feel like, you know, I've accomplished something. Then inevitably my inbox fills right back up in the next couple minutes as people <laughs> respond to my messages. Like, I know that's how it's supposed to work. And yet every time I'm still like, man, come on. It's just, it's never never done. Um, Tish Warren, though, argues that no matter what our work is, that no matter what our jobs are, that all work is sacred. She says, yes, even emailing can be a holy kind of task. And I think before we get too much further and kind of unpacking this sermon, I think it's important maybe to name that we often put hierarchies on work and kind of what work we see as sacred or more valuable or more holy work and other work that we might not necessarily name as like sacred or holy or valuable um, work. We might name it more as like secular or having to have nothing to do with our faith. And to be clear, kind of as we talk through this this morning, I think that no matter how we spend our days, no matter whether or not we actually are paid for our labor, if our labor is caring for our kids or our spouses or our families or maybe even the land or community around us, I believe that all work, paid or unpaid, can be holy and sacred work. We see God naming work actually as sacred all throughout scripture. I think one of the places that it is most clearly defined, perhaps, is at the end of one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. At the end of this letter, Paul is kind of defining for them the difference between the resurrection of Jesus, or what difference the resurrection of Jesus should make in their everyday ordinary lives. And Paul pulls this imagery from the poetry of Genesis, reminding his community that all of them are made of dust. Uh, but one day we might also bear the image of the one of heaven. If you want to kind of read along with this language, it's kind of verses 45 to 49 of chapter 15. And that's because of Jesus' resurrection that we too can kind of anticipate our own coming resurrection. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about how um, now death no longer has a hold over us because of what Christ has made possible through his death and resurrection. And then Paul makes this kind of bizarre transition from talking about the fact that we are made of dust, that we one day hope to be resurrected in the same way of Jesus. And he just has this tra one transition word. He says, therefore, and then he goes on to talk about labor. And it just, it feels like a bizarre transition. And I mean, he, he says like, your labor is not in vain. I'll, I'll unpack a little bit more of it in a second. Um, but it just, it feels like kind of clunky, like it doesn't necessarily fit. Um, I'll, I'll read his words and then we'll kind of continue to unpack it together. And Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Honestly, at first, this makes no sense. Why would you spend several paragraphs reminding us we're all made of dust, we're going to die, and then telling us um, after that 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 is what makes our work important? Like, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. However, as I've kind of sat with this a bit more, I think Paul knew that this knowledge and the hope of the resurrection could make people feel like maybe their work or their life did not actually matter. 
that their only purpose would be to hope for the day when we are with Jesus in our post-resurrected bodies. Um, if kind of that's the only thing that we have to hope for, then people in his community might be asking, well, what is the purpose then in living our lives now if we have um, only what is to hope for, what is to come to hope for? What's, what's the purpose of here and now? Friends, I think that Paul understood that Jesus did not simply come so that we could escape this beautiful life and work that God invites us into, but rather that Jesus came that God might dwell with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We say this at Christmas every year, that God came to dwell with us, not simply in our death and something that is to come, but also in our life, in the here and now. Paul wanted the church in Corinth to know that Jesus made possible a different kind of life, a life that calls us to labor for the good of our neighbors, a kind of labor that invites us to care for our communities and our land in the way that God loves and cares for each and every one of us. That is why our labor matters in light of the resurrection. If you are familiar maybe with the first couple chapters of Genesis, you know that in these chapters, God offers a blessing over all of the animals. And then we see that God does the same for us. God offers a blessing and a commission to the first humans. He invites them, as one of my favorite professors, Ellen Davis, translates it, uh, to exercise skilled mastery amongst the creatures. Friends, we are commissioned to care for, to tend the earth and the community around us through our work. I think it's important to note that this is not a vocation that we get to escape from either, actually. Um, Not only today, but also even in a post-resurrected life. We see in the very end of scripture in Revelation an image of what this renewed creation will be like. It is not an image of us kind of floating in the sky or in the clouds with God. But rather in Revelation, there's an image um, painted for us of God coming to dwell with us. Not just in any particular place, but in specifically a city. A city that is filled with trees that it says they are going to bear fruit that is the fruit for the healing of the nations. And then it says that there is a, a river of the water of life that is flowing through the city. Friends, we are not called to a life of escapism where all that we can hope for is for the next life. But in fact, our God cares so much about our here and now that God chose to come and dwell with us in the person of Jesus. Therefore, our work is holy. Therefore, our labor is not in vain. Therefore, our work can be a partnership with God for the flourishing of our communities. I believe that more important than what it is that we are doing, whether we are pastors or teachers or business owners or construction workers, cashiers, or full-time caregivers. It is not necessarily what it is that we are doing that is important, but rather how it is that we do whatever we do is actually what matters. Paul's invitation is that as beloved siblings in Christ, that we would be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Friends, we are invited in whatever it is that we do to partner with God such that our presence in our work suggests the presence of God in our workplaces, even in the most menial of tasks. It isn't always easy or necessarily intuitive to know what it looks like to serve God through our work. However, whenever I find myself doubting that even the smallest of things can be holy, 
I'm reminded of a woman who worked at my university and her job was just simply to stop traffic so that people could cross campus at a pretty busy intersection. And she could have come to work every day and simply held up a stop sign and let us cross the street, made sure cars didn't hit anyone and go home. However, like many people, I spent four years crossing her street. She was there in the rain. She was there in the cold. She was there in the heat of summer and beginning of the fall. And every single time I saw her put out her hand to stop traffic and I heard her familiar voice call out this phrase that she said every time. She said, hold on one second. As she put her hand out to stop the cars and allow us to cross the street. And somehow, I really don't even know how to describe it, but somehow I felt loved and cared for um, as she held traffic and allowed us to cross the street. Truly, I don't really know any way to describe it in a way that makes sense for those that haven't experienced it, but she had a, a special way of making us feel loved because of just the way that she cared for each and every person that crossed the street. And I don't, I don't know that this woman was a Christian, but I do know that a few years ago she retired from her job and someone posted on the UNC student Facebook page that she was retiring and kind of thanking her for her work and that kind of thing. And thousands upon thousands of people liked and commented and shared that post. And I mean, person after person, if you scroll through it, shared stories of how her consistency and her love and her care had just made such a difference in their college experience. And all of this was just by four simple words that she repeat, repeated every single day. Hold on one second. Friends, our work matters. How we spend our days matter. And how we care for other people in the midst of our work matters. My hope for us as a church community here in Fuquay is that no matter what our work, no matter what our labor looks like, we might be a reflection of the love of God in all that we do, that we might be um, holy teachers, as um, Tish Warren says, holy business owners, holy construction workers, holy accountants, holy cashiers, holy caregivers, holy stay-at-home parents, or yes, even holy crossing guards such that our labor can be a holy partnership with God. Not necessarily work that points to our own work or deems it as holier than somebody else's work, but work that sees this holy call from God to work not in order to glorify ourselves or to build up our own brand or business, but work that brings honor and glory to God and the community around us. Last week, if you were here with us, you might know that we commissioned our teachers and students, administrators, anyone who is kind of headed back to school. And I thought that this morning, as we closed out our time, that I'd like to offer a commission to each and every one of us as we turn to our work and head out into the week. And whether your work is paid or unpaid, or whether your work is in your home or in the community or caring for the land, whether your work is a physical office building or maybe just your phone or your computer, whatever it is, I would encourage you wherever you are listening to this from that you might carve out some space over the next couple moments to receive this commissioning, to find a way and a space to be able to soak in these words such that as you go from here, you're, you might be reminded in your work that all work is holy work and all work is work that can be done to the glory 
in the love of our God. So I'm going to invite you to take just a couple seconds to, you need to close your eyes or settle into the couch or find some quiet space where you might be able to reflect a little bit. And uh, this is a liturgy for one who is employed. And this liturgy comes from a book that I often return to called Every Moment Holy. Uh, Let us pray, friends. O Christ, who supplies my every need, I praise you for all provisions and for the means by which they are provided. For my current employment in the season of life, I give you thanks. By it, may I meet my own needs and contribute to the needs of others. Let me work and serve in this position with mindfulness, creativity, and kindness, loving you well by loving all whom I encounter here. Jesus, be ever-present as mediator between me and my employer, between me and my supervisors and co-workers, and in all my dealings with others in this work, reminding me that my treatment of them is the strongest evidence of my affection for you. Grant me, therefore, the patience to listen to others, the humility to learn from them, and the compassion to consider their needs as my own and the grace to wear well in this place the name of my Lord, remembering that I arrive here each day as an emissary of your kingdom. Let me be an asset to my employer and superiors, working for their flourishing without resentment. Let me be a support to my peers, contributing to their advancement without jealousy. Let me be an encouragement to any I train or lead, affirming and equipping them without disdain. May the days of my employment here be meaningful. Use this chapter in my life to accomplish your ends, whatever they might be. May my presence here daily suggest your presence here. And may the outworking of the gospel be always evident in this my work. My service as an employee might be ever reckoned and received as service first rendered unto you, O Christ. Amen. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, And while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquaverina area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquaverina United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.